today. We're going to be looking in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, a message I call, He Has Done All Things Well. Uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 37. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, there it is, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Our journey through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday morning brings us to the time when Jesus makes a journey. We've often studied the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul, all three of them, but for some reason we haven't uh, taken very many looks at the journeys that Jesus made, and this is certainly one of them before us in our text today. Uh, He is going up through the region of Tyre and Sidon. Mark tells us that in verse 24. From there, the there was in the region around Capernaum, around the Sea of Galilee. From there, he went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. Now, Tyre and Sidon were associated with the famous Phoenicians. We know a lot about them historically. Uh, Their uh, maritime exploits are the source of legend as well as historical record. Uh, The city of Tyre was about 50 miles from Capernaum. Sidon, about 20 miles north of there. And Jesus would make a rather wide and circuitous trip that would bring him all the way back then to the Sea of Galilee on a northern kind of excursion back to the Decapolis, the ten city region that was almost 100% Gentile. So Tyre and Sidon were uh, two Gentile and idolatrous uh, cities as were all of these. And then the Decapolis, very, very much a Gentile region. And uh, he has that affirmed for us then in verse 31. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of the Decapolis uh, by the Sea of Galilee. So uh, this is a big trip that Jesus made. He had spent almost a year, maybe a little over a year, teaching and healing and performing miracles, casting out demons and raising the dead in Galilee. He had performed some extraordinary miracles. He spoke to the wind, for example, and the wind hushed. Spoke to the waves and the wind, waves calmed. He fed uh, uh, the multitude with five loaves and two fishes. So on top of the fact that he had raised the dead, healed the sick, cast out demons, and done all those things, uh, he had also done these amazing miracles So much so that he had attracted the attention of Herod Antipas, who was the ruler of Galilee, and also, by the way, the man who murdered, or had him him murdered, murdered John the Baptist. So attracting Herod's attention wasn't a really good thing. In our previous messages, we've seen how that the Jews, the Jewish leaders from Judea and Jerusalem had come all the way up to Galilee. And as they were listening to Jesus, uh, they weren't listening to be blessed. Uh, They were listening to find fault. They watched his disciples, watched him like a hawk, seeing if they could find anything that they could criticize him about. So by going up to this, uh, making this trip, and it could have been anywhere from a few weeks to several months that he spent in this region, uh, it accomplished a couple of things for him. Number one... It got him out of the jurisdiction of Herod because the area that he was in here uh, was not in Herod's jurisdiction. You might remember Jesus started out his life that way. Uh, Remember when his parents took him down to Egypt and got him away from Herod. 
So by going up into this area, he got out of Herod's jurisdiction, but he also then would have gotten away from the Pharisees where they were dogging his steps and criticizing and complaining about everything he did. (laughs) They weren't going to go to Tyre. They weren't going to go to Sidon. Those are Gentile areas, and he knew that they wouldn't follow him there. So it gave him some time uh, to spend teaching his disciples. He intended for this to be a discreet trip, but Mark tells us, He could not be hidden. This wasn't so far away that the miraculous healing ministry of Jesus hadn't attracted the attention even of these Gentile folk. And when they found out that he was entire, that was something that that could not be hidden. You couldn't keep it quiet. All the things that Jesus did in this region are not recorded for us. We don't know a whole lot about what all went went on, but we do know that he could not be hidden, that Mark told us that. And we do know that the Gentile response to Jesus was, also the title of our message, He, he Does All Things Well. If Mark was indeed writing primarily for a Greek and Roman audience, then the fact that Jesus went into this Gentile area and that they would pronounce this verdict upon him, he does all things well, would have been significant. We see the contrast because we know how things ended with the Jewish people. After listening to Jesus teach, after hearing the debates between him and the religious leaders, After seeing miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Their verdict was the verdict of the Jews. Killing. Away with this man. Such a man is not worthy to live. Crucify him. That was their verdict. But the verdict of the Gentiles. He does all things well. In the telling then of of this period of Jesus' life, uh, Mark is actually going to isolate three miracles that Jesus performed. Two of them we're going to look at today. It should not be surprising that one of them involved casting out a demon. How many times have we seen that? And one of them healing a man who was both deaf and mute. And such a situation generally occurs when someone is born deaf or At the very least, when they lose their hearing in infancy, very, very early childhood, so that he's both deaf and mute. Two amazing miracles out of who knows how many that Jesus might have performed on this journey and in this area. But these two miracles tell glorious stories and teach us important truths. So first we'll look at the demon-possessed man. That's in Mark chapter 7, verse 25. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. Now, that name was coined by the Romans because they connected the Phoenician area there around Tyre and Sidon with the Syrian rule, therefore the Syrophoenician. This woman was born there. Uh, We know that she was Greek uh, because Mark calls her Greek. Uh, Matthew spoke of her as being a Canaanite. So obviously she uh, had multiple ethnicities, as many, many people then and now do. But she lived in this area, which meant that she was a citizen of Rome. And so all of those things were true. Multiple different alliances. Mark points them out. She was a Greek, Syrophoenician by birth. 
And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumb. You see, Jesus coming to Tyre was entirely too big of a deal to be hidden. And so this woman heard about it. We're not sure how. And she knew about Jesus. We know that because in Matthew chapter 15, uh, Matthew records for us that she refers to him as the son of David. And that is a messianic title. That means that she knew that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. We also see him in this text, uh, how that she calls him Lord. And that's a significant thing because she's therefore called him both Lord and Christ. And remember what Simon Peter preached on the day of Pentecost when he said that you had taken Jesus whom you crucified and slain, but God hath made this same Jesus both Lord and Christ. So to understand that he was the Jewish Messiah and that he was the Lord, the Son of God, was no small thing. And this woman had obviously believed on him. She falls at his feet and gives him worship. Of course she did. But what a contrast that is. The Jews who were arguing, nitpicking Jesus to death because he didn't wash his hands right or his disciples didn't wash his hands right. I mean, just constantly looking for everything. They didn't fall at his feet. They didn't worship him. They didn't call him the son of David. They didn't call him Lord. I promise you that. But here he is in this Gentile city. And this Gentile woman who comes to him, calls him the son of David, calls him Lord, falls at his feet and worship him. What a contrast this is. Our text here says the woman just kept on asking Jesus for him to come and heal her daughter. The reason for that might not be readily apparent in this text, but if you add in uh, what Matthew gave us in Matthew 15, we know that Jesus initially ignored the woman. And so, not to be dissuaded, she just kept on asking, kept on asking, please, begging him, imploring him to come and heal her daughter. Mark uh, didn't give us that uh, information. He just simply tells us that when Jesus responded to her, he responded to her with a parable. He did this many, many times. I think too many people have tried to say that Jesus insulted this woman. I don't believe that a bit. He told her a parable. A parable that would have been easily understandable. They understand it. We understood it. And what did he say? He said, it's not right. It's not fitting that you should take the children's food and give it to the dogs. Any parent who's ever raised kids knows how that story works. You prepare good, wholesome food meals for your family. It's not always what they want, right? That, that you prepare it for them. You don't just immediately take it down and give it to the dogs. You give it to the kids. <laughs> How many of you have had kids that gave their food to the dogs anyway? They're slipping food under the table. You know how that is. The Bible says uh, that she responded to him in just that way. Well, uh, you know, yeah, but Lord, uh, you take uh, the crumbs. Even the dogs get to eat the crumbs. Sometimes those crumbs are, are dropped on purpose. 
This woman, you see, responded what Jesus said. He didn't insult her. He was making a simple truth, and she understood it because she called him the son of David. That means she knew that he was the Jewish Messiah. She knew he had obligations then to the Jewish people. He had responsibilities to them that he had to fulfill. He knew what he was doing. She knew what he was doing. He was going uh, to the Jews and presenting uh, that truth of himself as the Messiah. She understood it. And she knew then that Jesus was following, though she might not have taken it in just this way. She knew that Jesus was, in a sense, following that gospel order. It's mentioned in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So when Jesus ignored her, she didn't leave. When the disciples were saying, Jesus, just make her go away, she still didn't leave. She's come to Jesus. She is calling on Him. She's worshiping Him. And she is making this incredible leap of faith. Desperate for what she knew only Jesus could do. And that was heal her daughter. So she kept on. She kept on crying. But then she gave that incredibly insightful response. Amazing response. Because she, she knew. She had already believed on Jesus. That was obvious. But she also knew that the Jews... We're not believing on him. The apostle John in John chapter 1 tells it this way. He came unto his own, but his own did not receive him. She saw that. And so she understood the parable. That it was, he was to go to the Jew first. But she gave this response. But Lord, the Jews don't want what you're feeding them. They don't want what you're giving them. They're not receiving you. So let us have what they don't want. Now, while Jesus was ignoring the woman, I don't think, again, he was being rude to her. I think he was putting her faith on display. Putting her faith before the disciples who just wanted him to shoo her away. But he, she, he didn't do that. She wouldn't be shooed. She wouldn't leave. And all of that, then, they saw this incredible faith of this woman. In fact, Jesus would say, great is your faith. She had mega faith. Great is your faith. Some of you may know what this is like. You may have somebody in your life that you're having to crawl over to get to Jesus. It may be your parents. Because you're wanting to know Jesus. You're wanting to respond to Him. But somebody's in your way. It may be a friend. It may be someone that you work with. It may be a neighbor so often as someone in your own family. It may be other Christians. One of the tragedies of modern Christianity, or at least the American version, is how easily people are dissuaded from following Christ. I hear things all the time. Well, you know, we came to church and it was cold. Oh. Well, just wait. We'll make it hot for a long. <laughs> you don't like it cold? Uh, we'll sweat you out. Uh, we very seldom make it comfortable. We try, but hey, I, I really like this one. I had to sit up front. Oh, 
It's amazing how easily people are dissuaded. But you know, this woman was desperate for Jesus Christ and for what only He could do. And that's what you and I need. That's what our world needs. That's what our community needs. We need more people with that kind of desperate faith who realize that we need something that only Jesus can give us. You can't get it anywhere else. And we're going to gather together and we're not going to be dissuaded. We're not going to worry about what somebody said. Well, somebody didn't shake my hand. So what? You're here to see Jesus mainly. Now, we'll try to be better. I, I know we need, we, we've got all these things we need to try to do. But, my, think about this woman. And Jesus didn't speak to her. The disciples wanted him to run her off. But she just kept on. Desperate for what she knew only Jesus could do. It was her daughter who was demon-possessed. Remember, idolatry and demon possession went together. Mark chapter 7, verse 29, though, Jesus said to her, because of what you said, this statement of faith, yes, Lord, she didn't disagree. She agreed. She understood that parable. She got it. She agreed with Jesus and what he said. But by requesting then, Lord, just uh, you're, the children aren't taking this. And no, it's not right to take the children's meat and feed it to the dogs. But if the children reject it, then that's when the dogs get it. So with that insightful response then, Jesus said, For this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. Isn't that amazing? Jesus didn't go see her. He didn't go interact with her. He did not go lay hands on her. He didn't go down there and argue with the demons and have a little uh, powwow back and forth. None of that went on. In fact, this woman made this statement, Lord, what you say is right. It is not right to take the children's food and set it in front of the dogs and let them eat it. But once the children have had it and rejected it, that's when you feed it to the dog. Lord, it's our time. Let us have what they don't want. And Jesus said, because of what you said, you go your way. Your daughter's already healed. She was healed before he ever said a word. He spoke to the wind and the wind calmed. He spoke to the wave, the waves calmed. He called, you'll see him call Lazarus out of the tomb. I'm telling you. But Jesus didn't have to say a word. What authority he had then over the demons to perform such a long distance miracle. No drama, no intera interaction, nothing. Just G-O-N-E, gone. She kept on asking. She addressed him as both Lord and Christ. She gave him the worship he deserved. She obeyed his word with a yes, Lord. He told her to go home to her daughter, and she did. What faith she had. So there's the demon-possessed girl healed because of her mother's faith and her mother's profession. Then we see the interaction with the man who was deaf and mute. Again, verse 31, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they, we don't know who they were, they brought to him one who was deaf 
and had an impediment in his speech. And they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears. And he spat and touched his tongue. And then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha. That's the best I can do with that word. Ephatha. Ephatha. My, my South Arkansas tongue don't want to wrap around that word. Ephatha. Uh, and, and I do know what it means. It means be opened. I understand Jesus did not take a leisurely stroll. It would take him a long time to get from Tyre and Sidon. This was a week-long journey, a very long trip. It would have taken him through many towns and villages. So he would spend a lot of time there teaching. But he comes in to this place and they bring to him this man who was both deaf and unable to speak. They pled with Jesus to put his hand on him. But Jesus did a lot more than that. His interaction with him is, of course, noteworthy because Jesus would have to speak a language to this man that he would understand. Now, this was long before sign language was invented, so... You know, how would he interact with this person? And, and, and I'm sure this man uh, had, had grown to, to learn certain things that, that, that make a motion like this. And, and do you, are you hungry? They were asking him. Making a motion like this. Do you want something to drink? Uh, squinch up their face like this. Are you hurting? Is your arm, did you hurt your arm? I mean, he, he would learn that kind of sign language as they were able to act things out. And that's what Jesus did. First thing he did was put his hand, fingers in his ears. Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears. Don't get grossed out. It's just what he did. Fingers in his ears. What did that tell him? Jesus told him, I know your ears don't work. It's an important thing. You see a lot of times people who were deaf and mute were considered to be insane or demon possessed. Uh, at the very worst, if it happened to him at birth, they were considered to be under the judgment of God. That was Jewish beliefs of their day. It was wrong, but uh, that's what they believed. So Jesus, by putting his fingers in his ears, was telling him, I know what's wrong. You can't hear. Your ears are stopped up. Then Jesus would either spit on or lick. Uh, the word could go either way uh, on his finger. And then he touched his tongue. What did that tell him? It told him, I know your tongue doesn't work. Your tongue doesn't work. And then the Bible says he looked up to heaven. <laughs> Do you think he got that sign? I, I bet you he did. What was he saying? Jesus said, I know what's wrong with you. Your, your ears don't work. You're not able to speak. And... What you need comes from God. I'm, I'm going to pray for you. Jesus said it over and over again. I must work the works of Him that sent me. He was doing the Father's work. And He wanted this man to know it. That He was calling on God for him. And then, the Bible says, Jesus made a big sigh. What did that tell him? told him that Jesus had compassion on him, that he cared. I know what you've gone through, son. I know what's wrong with you. I know that you need help from God. But that sigh told him a lot. He felt his pain. He knew his burden. He knew what was wrong with him. And he had compassion upon him. 
The writer of the book of Hebrews would say long later, but still wonderfully, we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was on all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Aren't you glad we have a compassionate Savior today? Jesus had compassion on him. All of those things then, Jesus acted out before him. And then he said that word. Uh, scholars are still debating over whether it was Hebrew or Aramaic. And the fact is, I don't know. I, I don't know. And, and I would ask, what difference does it make? Because this fellow didn't speak either one of those languages. He had never heard of one of them. He didn't speak Hebrew. He didn't speak Aramaic. He didn't speak Greek. He couldn't hear. Jesus, though, spoke a word. And what was that word? It was, be opened. And immediately, verse 35, his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. And he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. It's amazing what happens in this story. Because immediately this man was able to speak. I've just been a curious guy. I wonder what language he was spoken. I mean, there were several to choose from. He could have spoken Hebrew, could have spoken Aramaic, could have spoken Greek, Latin, Syriac. I mean, there are all kinds of languages. Phoenician, there were all kinds of languages that were available to him. I don't know which one he was able to speak, but I know one thing. It might have been several. Whatever it was, he was suddenly able to speak fluently. Do you understand what a miracle that was? Have you ever tried to learn a language? <laughs> you know, he got it like that and was immediately then able to talk, never been able to talk before, never been able to hear before. Now Jesus would send him out with the instruction after suddenly he was miraculously able to talk. And what did Jesus tell him? Don't tell nobody. <laughs> How's that going to play out? You know, you just see that guy sitting around a crowd of people and somebody said, let me tell you something. Oh, they said, oh, oh he's going to, no, don't worry about him. He can't hear. And he said, yes, I can. Not only can he hear, but he can talk too. He could have had a lot of fun if he'd have done what Jesus told him to. Though. <laughs> oh, Suddenly he was able to hear and able to speak. And of course, everybody's going to be after him. What happened to you? How were you able to do this? So though Jesus told them not to tell it, they, they told it everywhere. We can't blame them. But Jesus had a good reason for doing that. Jesus healed a lot of people, folks. Listen, Jesus healed a lot of people, but Jesus did not come into this world to heal people. Jesus cast out a lot of demons, but that's not the real focus of what he was here to do. Uh, Jesus did a lot of great things. But he told us, he said, the Son of Man has come to what? To seek and to save that which was lost. And while this man could go out and spread the story about this miracle worker who healed his deafness and made him able to speak, he wasn't capable of sharing the gospel, really, of the message of the saving power of Jesus Christ. And the more this fame spread, I mean, it would be the same thing today. 
If somebody suddenly got the miraculous ability to heal cancer, verified, bona fide, no question about it, indisputable, medically verified, he could lay his hand on you and heal you from cancer. How long do you think the line would be to go see him? Hmm? You know how the story of Jesus' healing ministry spread. And though he tried to quieten it down, they, they spread it everywhere just the same. By the time Mark chapter 8 begins, we're going to find the multitudes right back. I want to draw a couple of applications for this uh, for all of us today, and we'll be finished. We have to notice the responses to Jesus Christ that are put on display in this passage. Where the Jews would look at him and refuse and reject what he brought to them. Jesus went to Tyre and Sidon and through the cities and villages of the Decapolis and the people would receive him. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus would speak to Chorazin and Bethsaida. And he would tell them that if the mighty works done in them had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. No doubt a reference to how Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah long ago. I have no explanation to you then why that Jesus would have spent so little time in Tyre and Sidon compared to all the incredible time that he spent around Galilee except that was the order of the gospel to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He came into his own, but his own received him not. Jesus wouldn't do all the miracles that he had done in Kerosene or Bethsaida or Capernaum. He wouldn't do all of those miracles. <laughs> but he did some. And some of them indeed came to him in repentance and in salvation. If such a simple thing could be done in Tyre and Sidon, you have to wonder what, what it's going to take to get through to people today with the message of the gospel. You see, this different response to Jesus didn't stop back in the New Testament era. It's still going on today. There's really only two sides of this equation. Today you will either consider Jesus Christ and you will join your voice with the Jews and say crucify Him. Or you can join your heart and voice with this Syrophoenician woman and confess Him as both Lord and Christ. Crucify Him or crown Him. Those are the options that you have. We learn from this story that God isn't just the God of the Jews. God is not just for one ethnic group. He isn't just the God of men. He isn't just the God of women. God is open to them all. And as Simon Peter would famously say, God is no respecter of persons. The other amazing thing is to know that God knows what our problems are. And he knows them probably better than we do. And I think about Jesus putting his ear, finger in that man's ears and touching his tongue. 
And I wonder if Jesus reached out and touched your problem today. If he reached out and, and touched your biggest burden, what would it be? I'm here today to tell you that Jesus knows exactly what it is. And you remember that sigh. He cares. He cares about what it is. He healed this demon-possessed little girl without even touching her, without going to see her, without even being in her presence, without any interaction with the demon. Just said the word and he was gone. He healed this man who was deaf and mute. The text puts both the faith of the mother and the faith of the man's friends who brought him to Jesus. But we also need to look today at the faith of another kind. Um, Fanny Crosby was a great hymn writer, poet. There's very few Sundays that we don't sing a song or two, written by Fanny Crosby. She was blinded as a child. Terrible situation. She was a Christian, became a Christian, and became a prolific songwriter. God didn't heal Fanny Crosby. Not in this life. She died blind. But she can see just fine today. She can see just fine now. But I love a song, a hymn that she wrote that's her personal testimony. And of course, I'm going to sing a little bit of it because I just can't help myself. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercy who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in Him to dwell. For I know whate'er befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. Yeah. You see, it's not just when Jesus does a miracle of healing that he's doing well. He's doing well when he saves us. When he is with us and leads us every step of the way throughout our life. When he never leaves us and never forsakes us until he calls us home. Be with him for eternity. And then we can say, like Fanny did, and like the Gentiles in his day did, he does all things well. He does all things well. Oh, I ask you today, have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has there been that time where you understood how desperately you need him and how desperately you need what only he can do? You can't save yourself. I've said that a lot. I'll say it again today. You can't save yourself. If you could, then Jesus died for nothing. You can't save yourself. Only Jesus can save you. And he'll save you when you come to him with that desperate faith.
Not going to worry about what anybody else says. Not going to worry about what anybody else thinks. I need Jesus. <laughs> Are you ready to receive him? Let's stand together, please.